Welcome to The Perspective with Mike Sherbino. We're a TV show and a syndicated radio show, and we are stepping into the conversation and looking to uncover how faith influences culture and how culture influences our faith. Be prepared to hear from some amazing guests, known and unknown, insightful conversations that will get you thinking. And most importantly on the show, we are especially interested in encountering the living God and hearing about how he is transforming lives. Check us out on the World Wide Web at www.theperspective.tv. On Facebook, you can search The Perspective with Mike Sherbino, and you can also find us on YouTube. Today on The Perspective with Mike Sherbino and Julie Stoutland, speaker, author, emotional well-being and resilience educator, and a very good singer, I might add, Sarah Westbrook is here to talk about emotions and what Jesus taught us about them and how we can contain them to build better relationships. Welcome to The Perspective today. I'm Mike Sherbino, and uh, who would you be in Florida today? I'm Julie Stoutlet. <laughs> yeah, we're still a little green with envy, but I'm getting over it. But well, Julie, we got an interesting program today, and I got to be careful because everything you say will come back to haunt you and bite you, but uh -oh. I want to talk about relatives. Oh, no. And let me just say a disclaimer. I love all my relatives. I love you know, all my relatives. <laughs> But uh, we got Sarah Westbrook who's going to talk to us about healthy boundaries and how to handle the people that are a little wacko. And it's very interesting. I'll sometimes say to my wife, well, I think everybody else is nuts. I wonder what they're thinking about me. Have I got exactly it all right. together? And I know that all our viewers have it all together. But right. just in case you know someone or you're married to someone or you gave birth to someone who doesn't have it all together, Julie has all the answers today. Isn't that right? <laughs> no, I don't. Don't you get me in trouble. <laughs> okay, but Sarah Westbrook, I'm sure will have all the answers. And we're going to talk to her in just a moment. How to get along with your relatives. How to keep healthy emotional boundaries. Stay with us. You're not going to want to miss the program today. Well, I'm excited uh, for this day on The Perspective because Sarah Westbrook is with us and she's going to help solve all the emotional problems that I have and my <laughs> yes. relatives have. Sarah, welcome no pressure, to the No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> no, no, I don't feel the pressure at all. That sounds very fit and fair. <laughs> okay, we'll just deflect that because that's what a professional like you is supposed to do and we're not going to take it in. We'll just breathe and let it all go. Yeah, there you go. Sarah, seriously though, and I am being a little serious, a little facetious too. Yeah. Tell us about your work teaching and coaching people through emotions. How did you get on that journey and what are some of the things that you're encountering post-COVID? Oh my goodness. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about the journey of uh, being someone who dives deeply into emotions. That I don't think was my specific plan growing up. My specific plan was more like, okay, so how do we help people strengthen confidence and their ability to bounce back from challenges and move forward. What I started to really realize though, is there was a lot of talking about circumstances. So people would talk about the circumstance that impacted their life, the challenge that they faced, whether it was a negative opinion or something in their home life or social life. And there wasn't as much being done on that. That circumstance isn't the only thing you need to bounce back from it triggered an emotion. So sadness, anger, embarrassment, frustration. And those were the pieces that for me, 
really impacted my life. Cause I got thinking if a circumstance happened and it didn't really trigger any emotion, would it even matter? Like it kind of be like, well, you know, if you didn't feel anything, but it's that you feel something and now you've got to not just bounce back from that negative opinion or that challenge within your home life or your family life. But now you have to be able to move through sadness or disappointment or anger. And so that became what I started to really focus on was the emotions that life triggers and how do we move with them and through them? You know, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, okay, I was thinking of like a color palette and many times people without emotions are just like beige, you know, on the wall <laughs> and <Yeah. coughs> forgiveness to uh, please send forgiveness to me to all of those of you who love beige, but I like a little color, <laughs> a little pizzazz. And yet mm -hmm. sometimes all those colors splashing in are just way too much to handle. And mm -hmm. if we all represent those at various stages in our mind, first of all, how do we figure out who we are and where we're mm. coming from if we're going to interact in a healthy way in relationships? Oh, I love that you just mentioned that right now. So I'm going to give you a terminology that I share with my audiences, no matter what age is. So I'm just going to do it with you right here and now. Well, you're not going so to pick on me, right? You're not going to pick on no, me. No, I'm directly picking on you. It's just for you, Mike. <laughs> now, so this is what I say. I say, okay, when we're looking at, okay, where's the, who are we and where is another place we can make choices from instead of always emotional based choices, which can leave us with pure reaction, or mm. we can choose to suppress. And neither of those are healthy over time, right? When I suppress an emotion, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Boom. One day you're not fine. And they don't want to be someone who just purely goes from emotion to choice. You say something, you, you type something, you post something, it feels good in the moment, but later you're like, Oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I didn't do that. I wish I didn't say that that way or react in that manner. So this is what I ask my audiences. I'm going to ask you, what's the first piece of information you put into a GPS? Um, uh, like what do you use? <laughs> yeah. Like you're the using address. a GPS, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We put in the direction, we put in the address, we put the address in where we right. want to go. Yeah, exactly. So you put the address in. Okay. So there's your destination. There's your end result. Now let's pretend you're, you're carrying along on your journey. And all of a sudden there's a road closure. There's a fender mm. bender. There is right. a right? There's something that's spilled all over the road. You can't turn down that way. Right. It's hazardous. What does the GPS do? Recalculate. Recalculating, rerouting, recalculating, recalculating. Let's pretend now you've gone five hours out of the way. <laughs> you, you totally got sidetracked. What is the GPS still doing? The GPS will tell me you should have listened to your wife, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, a, a very, very wise one, right? Yes. But it's still recalculating. Why? Because it knows your end result. It knows your destination. So right. it knows you've gone the wrong way, but it's saying, well, this is where you told me you want to be. So I'm mm. going to keep rerouting you, recalculating to this end result, your destination. And I say we need to take the same philosophy when it comes to our lives. Mm. And when it comes to our lives, our destinations need to be our character, our values, mm -hmm. who we are as a person. So if my destination is I choose to respect myself, others, and my dreams, you know, if respect and patience and compassion is my destination, that helps guide my choices. Now in life, we will have moments that we feel are detours, 
and it will trigger emotions. And those emotions, we can spiral down with them, or we can feel them, practice ways to move with them and through them, but get back to our end result, our destination, our character. So knowing who you are as a person, your character traits, and literally writing it out on a piece of paper. And I can't Mm. stress this enough, like literally writing out, I choose to respect myself, others, and my dreams, posting it somewhere so that you can see it. And that is your destination, just like we use in a GPS. So that when you do feel like you are losing track because you're getting caught in the emotion and the detour, now you have a way to get back on track, recalculate and reroute. But when you don't know where you're going, who you are as a person, it becomes very easy to just keep spiraling in that emotional state. Yes. Well, building on what you've just said, it would seem to me that some of the times, I think the reason we need to be recalculating is because of difficult people. Mm. And the difficult people can be (laughs) people that don't comply with us or when we don't comply with them and wham, there's a big, you know, cabang. Conflict. So how do we work through that? What would you say? Let's talk, talk about both. How do we know when we're being difficult? And mm-hmm. as opposed to being a person of conviction right. and, and vice mm-hmm. versa, because life is more than just compliance. Oh, you know, it's interesting because I came up with a quote. This is many, many years ago. This is actually when my parents were getting divorced and I was about, I was a preteen at the time. And I came up with this quote in my mind of being able to compromise isn't always giving in. It's also learning something new about yourself. Hmm. So I've got thinking, because I think sometimes we think, well, if I'm compromising, then I'm complying, I'm giving up who I am instead of it being, well, if it's not a moral and value conversation, could you also be open to learning something new about yourself or that other person? And that also takes a very open mind and open heart and being very thoughtful and mindful in your approach of how you hear people and and not just communicate. I actually think that communication isn't just about talking. It's also about hearing where other people are coming from. And it's hard to do that when you're triggered to feel a wide range of emotions. If someone could say something and all of a sudden you start to feel angry, well, who here finds it difficult to listen and absorb information when you feel angry? True. <laughs> right. Like we're not, we're like, we're, we're shut down because we're, we're, we're fed, feeling all these emotions that cloud our body and our brain. Mm-hmm. So I do think that one of the steps to do is first of all, write down who you want to be as a person. So have that destination, that end result. And so if I circle back around to what I wrote down on my piece of paper as a preteen, I wrote down, I choose to respect myself, others in my dreams. And when I'm hearing somebody and I can tell I'm feeling a big emotion, I literally start deep breathing. Like that's my number one. And then I keep repeating my destination, my end result. Okay. If I was choosing to be respectful to myself Mm -hmm. and others, what choice would I make? And I find that that can help guide my words, but it can also help hold a boundary Mm -hmm. because I do believe that, you know, one of the biggest things that we, (laughs) I know for myself included, and I'm still a work in progress and always will be, but holding a healthy boundary, knowing that I can have my emotions and you can have yours and I don't need to fix and change and take on yours. And I don't need you to fix and change and take on mine, but that we can still have conversations and 
literally be okay that sometimes we don't see eye to eye. Mm. And then you decide what happens from there. Like, is it something where you don't see eye to eye because you're really taking a stand and they've pushed a boundary? Or is it that you can learn something new and say, okay, that's still within my boundaries, but I've also learned something new about myself and you. Let's do this. Let's hold that thought. I want Mm -hmm. your viewers to stay with us. We're going to be right back with Sarah and we're going to unpack even more of what she's been talking about. When you hear the word Easter, what comes to mind? Lots of chocolate? The Easter bunny? Colored eggs? Or could there be something more? To find out what that more is, North End Church is inviting you to join them this Easter Sunday morning at the Performing Arts Center, 250 St. Paul Street in St. Catharines. We are going there to make room for you and your friends and family. Music will be by recording artist Kevin Paulson Band, and kids programming will also be available. A continental breakfast will also be provided at 9.45 a.m. with service starting at 10.30. Join the North End Church family this Easter at the Performing Arts Center with Pastor Mike Sherboneau, who will be speaking on the greatest comeback ever. Seating is limited, so don't delay. Reserve your free seats today. Just go to www.northendchurch.ca. Again, that's northendchurch.ca. We'll see you then. We all love stories. They shape our minds, fuel our passions, and give perspective to our situation. Speaking of perspective, have you checked out The Perspective on your local TV network? The Perspective is Canada's newest daily faith-based program that addresses the issues between faith and culture. You will hear stories from guests like Lisa Bevere, Daryl Strawberry, Paul Henderson, The Godwink People, David Nurse, and many more. Hosted by Dr. Mike Sherboneau, The Perspective is here to help you find and follow Jesus. Check us out at theperspective.tv. I am somebody, I'm gonna prove to you, I'm gonna see you through, I, oh, I am somebody. So Sarah, at the beginning we were talking about families and how, you know, sometimes families are challenging and, and there are a lot of people that are estranged from their family members and, and that's not good. And talk to us about choosing forgiveness and how we can still hold those healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it is interesting with families, I know myself included, there's so many different dynamics and personalities and different mindsets. I mean, even if you were raised in the same household, you could have a different mindset and approach and personality than even a sibling. Yeah. So I, right. So I think it's really a journey and discovering who you are, uh, what character traits matter to you, your values, I think is number one. So again, setting that, that GPS destination, that end result of who you are, Mm -hmm. and then that will help decide whether it's an alignment. Is it, is, is what that person is saying or doing, showing respect to you, showing respect for the other person. And that I believe is a very important piece of this work. I also think knowing that when you set a boundary, other people will not always like that boundary, right? Other people will feel emotions around that boundary. Maybe they'll feel disappointed because you've set a boundary. That's like, no, today doesn't work for for you to come over. Uh, I've got way too much going on. And then they're disappointed because they're like, but I wanted to come over today. And I hold this thought very closely to my heart, but also repeat it very consciously in my mind. Your disappointment 
is not my guilt. Mm. Your disappointment is not my guilt. Knowing that if you've set a boundary and you've set it out of respect for yourself, others, your family, that when people are disappointed, they're allowed to be. And you don't have to fix and change their disappointment. We're all going to feel disappointment from time to time, but you don't have to absorb that as your guilt because then that actually weighs you down. And then you might out of guilt be like, okay, fine, just come over. But then what's going to happen? You probably right. sit there resentful the whole time being like, I told you today wasn't a good day. Yeah. Well, so I think right. you've, you've, you've pretty much answered the next question. Like, do, do, do we think too often uh, we try to fix it on our own terms and, and take on others' pain and, and let the emotions take over? You've pretty much answered that. that we are guilty of doing that. And you're telling us oh. that's not the way to deal with it, is it? No. And I did that. Oh my goodness. That was, that's me. And I still have moments, but if, if you're conscious of it, right? Like if you're conscious of like, Oh my gosh, where am I making my choice from right now? Okay. I'm making my choice out of guilt or am I making my choice out of my end result of respect for myself and others and holding a boundary because that's also good for my overall well-being, right. as opposed to just, you keep just letting the boundary go. But then over time, that relationship is not going to strengthen because mm. there's not only guilt can turn into resentment afterwards. Mm, like, true. Oh, Sarah, I want to take so it's a journey. Just, I want to take a slightly different in the last few minutes that we have. I know you're a woman of faith as uh, I am a man of faith and Julie as well. And so our faith in Christ is key. A lot of times people influence us with various thoughts as we talk about emotional boundaries and setting healthy boundaries, how does that interplay with your faith in Christ who calls us to show compassion, who tells us to be patient, mm -hmm. to be kind? And mm -hmm. when do we exert ourselves and not? Have you got some mm -hmm. thoughts on that? You know, that is so valuable to bring up and to talk about because I think that sometimes we think, well, if I keep giving and if I keep doing, then that's showing compassion and kindness. And I'm just going to keep doing it till I have nothing left to give. Mm. But I, I like to go back to analogies that we we've heard and we know so well, which is you're on an airplane and they remind you every time you get on the airplane, if the masks come down, whose do you put on first? You put on your own. They don't say put on everybody's mask. And then if you have time and you have a li little energy left, please put on your own mask. <laughs> they say, literally take the mask, put it on yourself before helping somebody else. And why do they remind you of this? Probably because most of us human beings need reminders because we will instantly go to put on everyone else's mask, especially that of our families or our children. Mm -hmm. But if you have no nothing to breathe in. How are you going to be helpful to anybody else? Mm. I also like the analogy of the battery that you would never take a dead battery, stick it in a flashlight and expect it to shine. Yet sometimes we will drain our own battery and stick ourselves into conversations, relationships, work, and expect to shine. And it's just not the way it works. So I do think that those analogies make logical sense to our brain. Cause we're like, yeah, dead battery is not going to make the flashlight shine. Okay. I've got to, I got to charge that. Oh yeah. No, I I've got to have oxygen. So I've got to put it on me and then other people. But I do believe this is true when it comes to our emotional state mm. is we have to be able to take care of ourselves so that you can keep doing the great work that you are doing to serve. And that was and is the message of Jesus is to serve. So mm -hmm. taking care of you isn't self selfish. It's actually so you can be selfless. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So it can be a circle. I don't think of it as a linear where like, I'm going to do something for me to take care of me. Uh, and then it's going to take away from doing something for you. No, no, no. I'm going to do something for me to take care of me so that I can keep serving you. And I'm going to make that into a circle, a rotation, not a linear where I'm taking away when I give to me. I'm giving to me to give to you. And I do think that that's a very different perspective and very a, a powerful one that needs to be because compassion fatigue is a real thing. Right. Wow. You know, I, I really appreciate the, what you said there. And and when I listen to what you're saying as well, I, I, I really hear underneath all of it that you're mentioning that we have to be very mindful about our choices, mindful about our thoughts mm -hmm. and that we're intentional. And I, and I, I, I think that's so important to focus on that because we live in a society where we're just jumping on our emotions. We're not even thinking about what to do with them. But in everything that you've shared, you're asking us to be mindful about our choices, mindful about our thoughts. And I think that's something mm -hmm. that we all really need to take and 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 understand that we can't just think we're going to get somewhere, like you said, if we don't have our GPS on, it's being mindful of our destination and, and you choosing ahead of time. How do you want to respond in this situation? Mm -hmm. so yeah. And then when you completely mess up, because, because I mean, sometimes we will, right? We'll, we'll react or we'll say the thing that we didn't want to say. You have a place of reflection. Right. Because I'm a firm believer that life is not about perfection, but it is about the art of reflection and redirection mm -hmm. so that you can forgive yourself. Forgive yourself that you're perfectly imperfect and that's what's perfect about you, that you're unique, that you sometimes make mistakes, but it's how you learn. If you're able to reflect and say, okay, totally messed up, whoops, <laughs> whoopsies, and, but this is what I've learned and this is my, my destination so now I can redirect. My destination of who I am, respect for myself, others, my dreams, compassion, forgiveness, love. And knowing that that is very much a part of the journey, that forgiveness for yourself and others mm -hmm. isn't saying that what happened was okay. It's saying that this is the gift that I'm giving myself so that I can redirect and I can learn and grow and move forward. Sarah, oh, so your, words remember. Are, your words are always helpful. And uh, our time is up. It just always goes too quick. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to have to be back for the next round when you can actually yeah. finish psychoanalyzing me and setting me straight <laughs> and helping me with my GTS. <laughs> and this is Julie's last we'll time sessions. on the program, too. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say. Sarah, thank you so much. And uh, always enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. something beautiful about the simplicity of that song and as we're pondering it we come back to the book of Colossians chapter 2 and we're talking about being linked in to Christ by faith and how that impacts how we handle our emotions our relatives our friends maybe the person you're married to comes back also to how we choose to live life I need to choose to live by faith but I also need to choose wisely and Paul writes to the church at Colossae, and he says, you need to choose wisely about what is influencing you, 
what you're allowing to come in and to permeate into your mind. And he does it by writing these words. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What on earth does that mean? Well, let me explain Colossians 2, verse 8. First of all, Paul says, don't be taken captive. That's a, a wartime picture of people who have lost control and they're being taken by someone else to a place where they don't want to go. Many times we allow things to happen in our life. We don't put in the proper boundaries or we have the influence of people or as Sarah talked about, we're trying to make everybody happy but we're not, first of all and foremost, listening to Christ. It's easy to be taken captive. But what does he say we get taken captive by? Who is the bad guy? Who is the army that's taking us captive? He gives us the answer. He said, don't get taken captive by philosophy. Now, when Paul was speaking to the Colossians, the prevalent Greek um, way of thinking was a form of thought called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism exalted human knowledge. And so if you were always acquiring knowledge or some new insight, you were higher up on the scale. And at the end of the day, you yourself were God because the more knowledge you have, the more you could figure out life. But we know that's not the case because we come to those brick walls all the time, don't we? Or we come to that turn in the road and regardless of what the GPS is saying, we have to recalculate because there's been a pothole or there's an accident that's blocking the road or the bridge's been washed out. I don't know what has happened in your life, but when we are trying to play God, which is what Gnosticism is all about, or also there are other kind of isms. There, is, there can be fundamentalism where it's all legalism and we try to live the perfect life. That'll take us captive and we lose the joy of Christ. There is a whole movement of thought where we can call it reductionism, where we take away basically all the teachings of the Bible that don't agree with me, and we just say, well, I'll believe in Jesus as my Savior, but I'm going to choose to do what I want. And Paul says, when that happens, you're taken captive. And then he also says, don't be taken captive by empty deceit. Empty deceit is people that promise you all sorts of things. Uh, it can also be things that promise you so much happiness or so much fulfillment. And we can understand that. But have you ever been led astray by someone who has promised you something and not lived up to it? I think that's one of the reasons we are dealing with so much trauma, even in uh, the Christian community, when we see great leaders who have fallen because we've been taken in by them. Folks, while we need leaders and we need to respect them and we need to have godly men and women that we can follow, we have to keep coming back to this book, to the Word of God. And as I do that, then I'm going to keep my mind fixed on Christ. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, don't be conformed any longer to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. Every day, I need to renew my mind. I need to say, Lord, what I'm thinking about, what I'm looking at, what is influencing me, is it truly from you? Is this the best road to be going down? Is this how you want me to behave? Is this how you want me to live? And people, when we come to that point every day, we begin to experience and walk in the freedom that God wants you and I to walk in. 
Why not choose today to open up your heart and say, Lord, will you be my leader? Will you be my Lord and guide? And if you're praying and asking God to do that, write to me at theperspective.tv and I'll help you in this journey called life. If you miss an episode of The Perspective or want to find out more about any of our guests, go to our website, theperspective.tv. Stay tuned for the second half of The Perspective coming up right after this. Hi, my name is Roger Helen, Prayer Ambassador for the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And I'm Brittany Leone, Volunteer Coordinator at Jubilee Church in Calgary. You know, all across our country, we are seeing a hunger for unity in and between churches and a deep desire to pray for revival. We see that desire all across the Christian community, in pastors, in leaders, and of course, in individual Christians who want their churches to come alive in prayer. That's why we are hosting Ignite, a worship and prayer summit for unity and spiritual awakening. This April, please join us in Ottawa, Calgary, Kelowna, or Regina for inspiration and training for pastors and church leaders. A half-day seminar will guide leaders on how to cultivate a culture of prayer in their churches, followed by prayer ministry and a catered complimentary dinner. In the evening, we will hold a public prayer and worship event in each city to seek God's face in worship and prayer. Everyone is invited to the evening event. We will worship and pray together for unity and spiritual awakening across Canada. It's going to be amazing. So friends, you are warmly welcomed to Ignite. So please share this invitation widely. Invite everyone. Register today at theefc.ca forward slash Ignite and let's cultivate united prayer to bless Canada in the name of Jesus. Today on The Perspective with Mike Sherboneau and Julie Stoutland, award-winning author Heidi McLaughlin and Shirley Thiessen talk grief. Heidi's book, Fresh Joy, Finding It Amid Lost, Hardship and Suffering, and Shirley Thiessen's Little Black Funeral Dress, Five Things I Wish I Had Have Known About Grief. Together we learn from Heidi and Shirley as we discuss recycling pain into meaningful purpose and moving mourning into hope. We're glad you're with us today on The Perspective. I'm Mike Sherbino. My co-host again is uh, the amazing Julie Stotland. Welcome, oh, thank Julie. You. Thank you. Hey, you know what? Normally, we're always kibitzing a little bit at the front end of the program, but I'm not going to do that today because the subject is really carries a serious note as we talk about grief, as we talk about the reality of losing people that we love. How do we press on? And I do know that there's a place for joy, even in the midst of that pain. Mm-hmm. But we, we have really need to address this. Yes, we have two amazing authors. They're friends. I know one of them quite well, Heidi McLaughlin, but also I'm looking forward to dialoguing with Shirley Thiessen today. And the good news, Julie, is that they're both from British Columbia, so that just puts them in a league apart from the rest of us. So uh, we want to welcome these ladies, Heidi and Shirley. And I got a confession to make right off the bat. Shirley, you don't live in British Columbia, as I said earlier. You live in Calgary, where all the frozen chosen are. So... uh, (laughs) You know, I don't know, we got to celebrate that with all our Calgarian friends. But I'm going to go back to Heidi as we begin on this uh, important subject, but sometimes it can be a heavy subject. 
And Heidi, we've all had to deal with a lot of grief and loss in these last three years. Just in a nutshell, tell us a little bit about your story, but how in particular has COVID and the lockdown affected the amount of grief and loss we all have experienced? Thank you, Mike. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Well, my, I have had two losses. My first husband, uh, I was married to for 28 years. Two weeks before Christmas in 1994, he died while playing basketball. And I was just blessed to be to remarry a wonderful man I was married to for 21 years. And November 6th, 15th in 2016, he went into the kitchen for, uh, for a cup of coffee and dropped. And while I was doing CPR on him, he died suddenly. So both of my husbands died suddenly. So I'm no, I'm no stranger to grief, but I, I facilitate a group called Grief Share. And I've noticed over the last three years during COVID and beyond that grief has been magnified because of the way people have had to grieve, you know, not being able to find closure to their grief and funerals and so on. So the grief has been intensified, especially in the last three years. And there's been so many more deaths that we've had to deal with. Well, as we ponder that, um, you know, let's just jump for a moment to you, Shirley, and, and talk to us from your perspective. And if you could just unpack some of the loss that you have gone through, but also what have you seen with grief in light of COVID, has it intensified because there are job losses, there is uh, people were trapped with where they were living, and so many things, as it's almost like people are trying to burst out and, and throw off the shackles, but they're still dealing or haven't dealt with the reality of what they've gone through. Tell us your story to start. Well, thank you for this invitation. Yes, in the year 2012, my 23-year-old son, Jordan, was married, and we were celebrating such a big um, event. Well, only two weeks later, we had a knock at the door, and a, a uniformed police officer was there to tell us that our son had died in a workplace accident. And it was such a shock, because we had just celebrated the wedding, and life was great. Well. That experience just threw me into this experience of navigating my loss in a way that I was unprepared for. I didn't know so many things about grief and what it was going to do to me and our relationships and um, spiritually challenging to even trust God in the midst of it. And one thing that certainly COVID has uh, brought to light is that this topic of grief that many of us didn't want to ever talk about or have a conversation about is now top of mind because like you said people are not only losing loved ones um, but have lost jobs have lost their sense of identity they've lost opportunities they've lost dreams they've and it's it's fractured families and relationships so all these types of different types of losses we need to grieve in order to move forward. Wow. Julie, Julie's got a question. Yeah, I wanted to jump in and ask you, like, what are the five things that we that we you wish you knew about Jesus that you write about in your book? I want to touch on that right now. Well, actually, there's five things I wish I had known about grief mm. that I write about in the book. And the first one is that you're not going crazy. You're grieving. And um, 
there's a difference. So one of the yeah. things that was shocking for me was how my physically, I was suddenly felt impaired. I had difficulty carrying a conversation. I had short-term memory loss. My body didn't seem to function in the same way. And so that was one thing that I wish someone had told me that that was something I could expect. And the second thing was, well, hurtful things will be said, but we need to choose to forgive, even from a distance if necessary. So one of the things the younger me often had, I had these sort of platitudes that I would say to my grieving friends and it, something like, well, at least your loved one isn't in pain or at least you still have another child. Well, oh my goodness, as soon as my son died, I realized those things were not helpful and yet they were perpetuated. And so I had to learn how to forgive people for wounding me with words like that, because I realized too, that I had once said things like that were so inappropriate, but sometimes for our own heart, we need to just back off from those, those people that kind of wound us with their words. And as the as, can I ask you for a moment, as the person who's trying to comfort uh, another person in grief, how can we catch ourselves from saying stuff that we don't mean to hurt people? What 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 can help us is like, wait a minute, close your mouth for a moment, think of twice about that before you say it. Well, I think that one of the most helpful things is to say, I don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. I hurt with you. I share in your sorrow. I, you are not alone. I'm going to walk with you in this. And so when people actually were honest enough to say that they were at a loss of, to know how to help me, but they, they loved me and they loved my family. That was what was so important because I needed to know that, that we were not alone. Hmm. You know, Heidi, let me ask you the question. What brought you the most comfort? I mean, people say the dumbest things as we're obviously unpacking right now. What were the the things that brought you comfort when you were confronted with your unexpected grief? Well, thank you, Mike. That that is such a great question because after doing so many sessions with grief and hearing so many people's stories, there's never really a right thing to say or do when somebody's grieving because everybody's grief is different. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody has different expectations. But what brought me most comfort were to be around people that had empathy, people that just didn't say, you know, if you need anything, just give us a call. It was those people that didn't just drop a casserole off at the door and say, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. They mean well, they really, really do. But what brought me comfort was when people came into my home, especially one of my friends who came in, she made me a cup of tea, she brought the cookies, then she sat at my feet while I wept and Mm. listened to my story, hugged me, wiped away my tears. You know, when people, words almost aren't even necessary at a time like that, a hug and just saying, I don't understand your pain, but I am with you. People that have an empathetic heart, they're beautiful and they're rare, but they're the ones who can really bring us comfort. And unfortunately, no great quote or no great Bible verse at that time is going to give you the comfort you need. And I know people don't want to hear that, but they don't. You know, we're trying to find a fix for that person who's in pain. But there really isn't a fix other than just being loved and embraced. Wow, powerful words. We're going to be back with both Heidi and Shirley in just a moment. Stay with us as we unpack more on this whole subject of grief. We all love stories. They shape our minds, fuel our passions, and give perspective to our situation. 
Speaking of perspective, have you checked out The Perspective on your local TV network? The Perspective is Canada's newest daily faith-based program that addresses the issues between faith and culture. You will hear stories from guests like Lisa Bevere, Daryl Strawberry, Paul Henderson, The Godwink People, David Nurse, and many more. Hosted by Dr. Mike Sherboneau, The Perspective is here to help you find and follow Jesus. Check us out at theperspective.tv. When you hear the word Easter, what comes to mind? Lots of chocolate? The Easter Bunny? Colored eggs? Or could there be something more? To find out what that more is, North End Church is inviting you to join them this Easter Sunday morning at the Performing Arts Center, 250 St. Paul Street in St. Catharines. We are going there to make room for you and your friends and family. Music will be by recording artist Kevin Paulson Band, and kids programming will also be available. A continental breakfast will also be provided at 9.45 a.m. with service starting at 10.30. Join the North End Church family this Easter at the Performing Arts Center with Pastor Mike Sherboneau, who will be speaking on the greatest comeback ever. Seating is limited, so don't delay. Reserve your free seats today. Just go to www.northendchurch.ca. Again, that's northendchurch.ca. We'll see you then. I know many of you say, man, I would love it if Heidi and Shirley could come and speak at our group, at our church, our organization. And guess what? They will. Um, so you need to reach out to them. You can catch us. You can help get them through us at The Perspective. But they have an incredible message to share with people in conferences. And they're both uh, amazing speakers and communicators and authors. So I just want to put in that little plug we got a lot of questions to ask, and I know, uh, Julie, you have a question on this yeah. whole thing of grief. Go, go for it. Yeah, Julie, I wanted to talk about the issue of grief having no timeline. I know for myself, there's a loved one who, you know, it's been 10 years that she's been gone. And, and you know, I know I'm still grieving, and I know that other people sometimes have a hard time thinking like, well, you know, it's been so long now. Shouldn't you be over it? So let's talk about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, the younger me used to think that, yeah, that, you know, grief is probably over in a year or two. Mm. You know, once you got all through all the first in that first year, I thought, well, then it would be better. But actually, the second year was worse, far worse, partly because the fog of my grief and loss started to lift. And I realized all the ripple effects of losing my son. It wasn't just an event. It was losing the grandchildren that mm. I was looking forward to. It was not being at his sister's wedding, like nine years after he died. It wasn't being an uncle to um, his nephew who is expecting a, or expecting a grandson next month. So even though it's been 10 years, it is acutely painful as new things happen in our family that he's not a part of. And so grief is not a race. There's no price for speed. And it is a lifelong experience of reconciling to that reality. We can be overwhelmed with grief. Heidi, um, I want to ask you the question. I know you've written about it in your book called Fresh Joy. How do you find joy in those dark, dark moments that Shirley has just been describing? Initially, you you don't 
because the grief is overwhelming. It takes over your, your mind, your body, physically, spiritually, emotionally, everywhere. It's just a place of darkness. And if you can find peace during that time, that's the beginning of joy. But you see joy, when we are Christians, we have joy in our heart and it's inside, and but it's gotten buried below all of that pain and suffering. And so for me to find my joy slowly, because I'm a joyful person, I needed to find it again desperately. And so I began what I call my gratitude journal where, you know, the Bible tells us to be thankful in all circumstances. Well, it's really hard to be thankful when you're in deep, deep grief, but there are things we can be thankful for. And every day I would sit with my gratitude journal and think about things that I was thankful for, the loving people around me, the, the people that cared with empathy, that I still had a beautiful home and, and that I was still okay. It's hard. It's a determined choice to do that every day, but it does help. And eventually, Eventually, you find yourself once in a while just laughing again, and you almost are surprised that you still have that within you. And slowly over time, as you begin to grow a life around our grief, because we never lose that grief, that grief is always part of us. But as we begin to build a life around it, that joy begins to emerge again. That was so deeply hidden within us. You know, and I, I want to build on that. Uh, Shirley, you, you mentioned how grief changes us. And I'd like both of you to to quickly tell us how in your own way you think it's changed you. Shirley, let's start with you. How has grief changed you? Well, for one thing, it has definitely caused me to be a more empathetic and compassionate person. I was certainly one of those people that, you know, just think, you know, just buck up and keep going. But now I know how important it is to have others who come alongside us. I, I call them hope heroes because they lend us hope. I love ours that. is leaking out. And so a hope hero is someone who just puts aside their own discomfort with grief to actually just listen and acknowledge the loss and pray and patiently be present with us. Mm. She, Heidi, how about you? How has oh, grief, grief changed you? Grief has changed me dramatically. And just like Shirley, I, I've become more empathetic, but it has helped me to prioritize my life differently. And what I mean by that, I'm just able to let it go of a lot of things that just don't matter anymore. <clears throat> and sometimes if there's a big crisis, I tell myself, well, nobody dies. You know, it's going to be okay. It's going <laughs> to it's going to be okay. It does change things, doesn't it? Oh, it changes everything. I now have a heart of mercy. I always thought I had a heart of mercy, but I really didn't. But I believe that I have more heart of mercy now. I'm less judgmental for people that are suffering, just like Shirley said, you know, let's just buck up and get on with it. No, some people are really suffering. So we, ha I have stepped into other people's shoes because of my pain. I've stepped into their shoes and so I understand their pain different. And I look at them with hearts of understanding and empathy. I, I'm curious to ask both of you ladies, was there a point when you finally said, I got to I got to get out of this slump? And did that happen to you? And if it did, how did you take the steps to start to go to a new level? Well, I can, I'll start on that, Mike. For me, it was finding hope in the Bible because I needed to find joy again. And I first found it going through the Bible and being thankful and then beginning to reach out and create uh, circles of friends because my joy comes from being around people and laughing and experiencing life. And slowly I began to do that again. I find that friends infect my heart with joy and that's where it comes. And it comes slowly and 
and joy comes as we begin to build life around us. And unfortunately, that's our part to do. We expect other people to do that for us, but actually it's up to us. We need to rebuild those, that, that life and those relationships and those things that give us joy. So helpful. What about you, Shirley? Well, I was certainly in a pit of um, depression and um, bitterness, really. And it was actually a sign that friends bought from, for me from a decor store. It's called, it says, be the kind of woman that when your feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, crap, she's up. <laughs> you know, I love this that. sign made me laugh, but it was actually a kick in the butt mm. to really think about, was I that woman that was a threat to the enemy or was I allowing my heartache to push God away instead actually participating mm. with the enemy to think that I had no longer a purpose, that I was in this darkest place and there was no opportunity for joy. And so I finally had to make that decision as we all do in pain. Am I going to get better or am I going to go bitter? Mm. Wow. Because there is no middle ground. And so I finally surrendered my pain to God. And I said, God, I don't want to be bitter. I want to be that person that actually is uh, cooperating with you to um, leverage this grief for your glory. Oh, that's beautiful. Now, both of you are speakers and you speak together as well. And we're almost out of time, but what is one thing when you're speaking that you want your audiences to take away? What would be your one big thing that you would want them to hear in this whole subject? I'm going to pick on you, Heidi, to go first. Okay, thank you. To let my audience know <clears throat> that when they're going through grief, they are not going crazy, that they're okay, that they're going to get through this. And that grief is one of the loneliest roads that they will ever walk. Mm. And we need people to walk that road with us. And that's my, my message of hope. Don't walk this road alone. It's way too lonely. Find a grief share group. Find that counselor. If you can't sleep, go see that doctor. Connect with people. This is too hard. This is the hardest thing you will ever experience in your life. So find help to help you through that. Well, Shirley, what are you going to add to that? Those are good words. They are. Well, I would want people to know that the secret to their own uh, self-care as a griever is serving others. Mm. I found this to be true. It sounds so counterintuitive, but it is a biblical principle that as I come alongside others who are grieving and I um, express empathy and compassion and love, and as, as I serve them in that, actually a little piece of healing starts to happen in my own heart. So I want people to know that is the secret, is serving others. Pretty well oh, said. Oh, boy. So well said. Well, thank I want to thank you both for being nuggets. with us. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Shirley, you've written a book called The Little Black Funeral Dress. Mm -hmm. And Heidi, your book is uh, Fresh Joy. And I want to encourage people to grab a copy and also to reach out to you folks or to reach out to you through the perspective.tv and invite these ladies to come and speak to your group of people that need the message. Thanks for being with us. Love you both. And so grateful for your uh, powerful words that I know have helped me already today. And I know are huge help to our viewers as well. Thank you, Mike and Julie. Sister. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I also love about Moses and David in particular was they write from a, a place of awe. They talk about 
creation and they see the stars and they see the sun and they see the moon as mere reflections. And when I say mere, M-E-R-E, of who God is. Awe was woven yeah. into everything. Can you even be a friend with God if you don't understand his awe? You cannot be. I love these women, these beautiful women of God who have gone through so much and they have joy. And I love how God is using their stories to show people that life isn't over and that we can be better and not bitter. And I appreciate how, you know, when we talk about someone having a loss and we always feel uncomfortable, but we can be a hope hero and just put our arm around them and, and just say, I don't know what to say. At least be there. At least give a cup of soup or, you know, a coffee or just sit quietly for a while, but just be there. I think the other thing, Julie, is that they've described that there's a process and yeah. there's a process to getting back to a healthy point because you, when death comes, you're dealt a blow, but there right. is a road back and you don't have mm -hmm. to stay stuck in the past. You can cherish the memories, yeah. but you can make new ones. And I hope that our listeners have heard that message. Everybody wants hope. And as we have pondered what Shirley and Heidi were talking about, it's easy to ask the question and it's natural. Is there hope? Uh, on one occasion, Winston Churchill, who was prime minister of England through World War II, said to Billy Graham, the great evangelist, is there any hope? And Billy Graham said, Jesus Christ is our hope. It was Emil Bruner who once said that what oxygen is to the blood, so is hope for the meaning of life. And when death comes knocking on the door, it is so easy to not only be gasping, but to lose hope. We conclude the passage in Colossians chapter 2 by discovering that it is brimming full of hope. And we're today we're in Colossians 2 and verse 13, and Paul talks about their spiritual journey. And he says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, um, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. I want to explain that verse. It's kind of complicated, <clears throat> but in other ways, it's very simple. He uses some terms that uh, we don't use normally out on the street every day. He talks about circumcision. Circumcision was uh, a sign that, a physical sign that set the Jews apart from the Gentiles. But God now is saying, if you're my child, there needs to be a circumcision of the heart where you cut away the old stuff through the strength that Christ gives us, through the victory that he gave us on the cross, and you now have a new identity, the identity of being the children of God. So with that as a backdrop, Paul comes and says, in one place you were spiritually dead, but now you've come alive with him. And here is the results of our relationship with Jesus. He says, first of all, God has made us alive together with him. And so even when I die, I know that I will be with Christ. But through what Christ has done on the cross, when I trusted him as my savior, in a, a very real sense, I was saying, Lord, I'm choosing to die to myself. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Does that happen every minute? Only as I choose to yield. But God takes me as I am, and he will take you just as you are as well. Every day I have to surrender and say, Lord, I want to die to myself and I want to live 
for you. It's in that powerful moment that women like Shirley and Heidi, and not just women, but men who choose to follow Christ, they'll say, even in my darkest moments, I can live and not just survive. I can thrive even if I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because Christ gives us his hope. And he says, God has made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. As Heidi talked about her two husbands who um, died very suddenly, Shirley talked about her son who was killed in a workplace accident because they had faith in Christ. Both those women know they'll see their loved ones again. We live with that hope. I live with the same hope that I will see my parents, my brother who has passed away, I will see them again. My relatives, my friends who have trusted Christ, I will see them again. And how do I know that? Because the powerful part of the verse, it says, he's forgiven all our trespasses, not just some of our sins, but all of them. Many times Satan wants to come and say, you're not forgiven. God has, you know, he says, forgiven some of the stuff, but you really messed up. You really screwed up over here. No, that's not the case. It says he's forgiven all of them by canceling the record of debt. Now, the word cancel, uh, for those of you that love your computer or your screens, you get this one. When you lose all your memory, it's, you know, it's wiped out. You're, you're up the creek. You have problems. But when it comes to my sin, it says that God erased the memory. He doesn't remember it anymore. Satan wants to remind me of my messes, my mistakes. People will often do that, but not my Savior. It says he canceled the memory of my debt that stood against us with his legal demands. The record of my debt, remember when Jesus died, they nailed his sin to the top of the cross. He said he claimed to be the king of the Jews. Is that a sin? Not when you are the king of the Jews, he's also the king of the whole world. But metaphorically, when I came and trusted Christ, he said, Michael, your sin, all of it was nailed to the top of the cross so that when I died for the sins of the whole world, I died for you. And that, friends, is the reality of my faith in Christ. It is what's changed me, it's what gives me hope. And today, for you as well, if you reach out to Christ, he wants to fill you with his forgiveness, his love, and his hope that he will be your shepherd even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's God's word for today. Thank you for listening to The Perspective with Mike Sherboneau. If you like what you heard or have a question for Mike, send him an email at this address, mike at theperspective.tv. Again, that's mike at theperspective.tv. Visit our website at www.theperspective.tv and check out our YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com and type in The Perspective with Mike Sherboneau. There you'll find hundreds of videos that'll keep you entertained and thinking for hours. Thanks again for listening to The Perspective, where we are always seeking to uncover how faith influences culture and how culture influences our faith. Until next time, we'll talk to you then.